welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast, where we exist to connect the story of God with the story of man and see all of our lives in light of God and His story. This episode is part of our book review sub-series where we dive into the literary world and analyze books that help shape our faith and spiritual growth. My name is Raven, and this is Andrew, and we are going to discuss the canon revisited, establishing the origins and authority of the New Testament books by Michael J. Kruger. Okay, so Andrew, could you dive in and give us a little background on this book and why we're talking about it this morning? Yeah, so that word, so it's canon revisited is like the main title of it. And that word canon, it just means um, the like a collection of books. So it's not necessarily a Christian idea, like any religion or like even a, a school of thought can have like a, a specific canon. So in a uh, there's like a basic canon for like philosophy classes. Like you can have like the three books that anybody in philosophy would read. That's kind of their canon. So it's just a collection of books that helps on a certain topic. So when we talk about the Bible, what uh, Dr. Kruger is talking about is the the New Testament books. We have 27 of the books um, that make up our New Testament. And what he's trying to do is give us um, a confidence on that we would know which books should be in the Bible and that these are the right 27 books. So in his introduction, he talks about um, just specific questions that, that if you think about this, we talk about scripture being God's word a lot. And that, um, these are the words that like base, we base truth off of our worldview, how we know God, how we know, um, how to behave in the world, all those kind of things. And his question is basically, how do you know you have the right books? Right? So we have this new Testament. Well, how do you know that these 27 books are right? Why is there not 24 books or 30 books? Or, um, why is, you know, these certain books in here and there's other letters and books written in that time period why shouldn't they be in? And so those are the questions that he's basically asking. And so in his introduction, he gets to kind of the core uh, of his book with, with this question or with this statement. He said, if Christians cannot adequately answer these questions, some of those that I was just asking about the canonical boundaries of the New Testament, then on what grounds can they ever appeal to the content? Of the New Testament. Hmm. Does that make sense? So he's basically saying, look, if you don't know which books should be in the New Testament, then how do you base your theology on the New Testament? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. So then why is that something that we as Christians need to be thinking through? And why is that important in an everyday context? Yeah. So for example, um, one of the books in the New Testament that's like debated a little bit is the book of Ephesians. And it's primarily debated because a lot of scholars think that Paul didn't actually write it. So is it this forgery in Paul's name or that it was written many years later? So here's why this matters to you, the listener. Um, think about how often, if you've read your Bible before, you if you've been to church, think about how often we quote Ephesians. Mm -hmm. Think about all the theology that we get from chapter one, which talks about um, the Trinity and what the Father's done and the Son's done and the Spirit is done. Uh, chapter two is this great, like beautiful chapter on the vertical relationship we have with God, the horizontal relationship with others. Um, Ephesians six about the um, the warfare that we face, and that's not per like um, with people, but it's with you know the spiritual beings, all that stuff. If Ephesians shouldn't be in the Bible, 
all of that goes away. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't base your theology on any of it. And so the question that he's trying to address is how can you have confidence that you should be basing your theology off Ephesians or that you should be quoting it or we should be preaching on it? Um, and, and so he goes through a lot of the different books and, and some of the books are pretty universally accepted, but there's a lot that are, there's questions on should these books actually be in the Bible? And that matters for us because we're saying these are the books that are God's word to us and we're basing how we understand God, salvation, how we love each other, how we live together. Well, all that stuff is dependent on those books actually being scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even for myself, it's really easy to say, okay, yeah, but how many people are actually going to ask me those types of questions or how many people are really going to challenge me on that? But it's giving me a basis for why I believe what I believe and helping me dig further. Have you gotten questions on that ever? I don't. Thanks. I mean, I do. So I had some friends growing up who are Catholic and they would challenge me on why we wouldn't have certain books in our Bible. So I don't know. Did they dive into that in the novel that you read the book? Yeah. So, so I'll say this. He, the first uh, couple chapters of the book are two models for, um, how we know which books should be in the new Testament that he says are, are not helpful. So let me just, again, you'll have to read the book if you want to go into this. Um, but the two models, the first one is uh, a community determined model. And what he's saying by that is that ultimately if a book should be in the Bible or not is determined by the community. So the, mm-hmm. the church basically, yeah. uh, one of the, um, um, one of the examples that he gives in that is actually the, the Roman Catholic Church. And so um, he would he disagrees with their model here, um, but he talks about how the Catholic Church has kind of a, a trifold or a threefold uh, authority that there's scripture, there's tradition, but there's also like church leadership. Mm. All right. And so what he argues is that ultimately to know if a book is in the, should be in the Bible or not. He says in the Roman Catholic tradition, it's, it's basically up to the tradition of the leaders of the past. Mm-hmm. And so he just says, logically, what has the most authority scripture or the leadership? Well, if we're basing our understanding of scripture off of what the leadership says, he says, you're, you're actually saying that the church has the final authority over mm-hmm. scripture, which he would say that's, that's wrong. And so um, there, there's other examples that he gives some uh, Carl Barr is a, a pretty famous theologian in, in the past. And he said that the authority of scripture only comes by the person who's reading it. And so your experience of scripture is what makes it scripture. Now there's a very complicated argument there, but again, Kruger says, Basically, you're saying that you, the person or the people of God, get to determine it. And he said, that's that doesn't leave authority with scripture, that leaves it with you. So he mm-hmm. says, that model can't be right. The final authority can't be determined by a community. The other model, he said, is a historical model, which in that one is basically um, scholars have often created certain... Um, checkpoints or certain qualifications that books have to meet in order to be considered real scriptural work. Um, Well, as you can maybe guess, the problem with that is whatever these scholars are saying are the qualifications are now the final authority and it's not scripture themselves. So both with the community Mm -hmm. thing or with the historical thing, he's arguing that if you have any sort of model or determining factor outside of scripture, then that thing becomes authoritative and not scripture. Hmm, Does that make sense? How those two things work? Well, and I can see, especially because when we were talking about earlier, you're saying that a lot of these letters and books are written in different time periods. And so if you were to say, oh, well, this time period doesn't really count or anything after that 
shouldn't be included, then that would negate some of what we have in our Bible right now. Yeah. What's interesting is that even, so we talk about like the Reformation and the Reformers. So people like Martin Luther, um, we talk about them very highly in a lot of ways. Well, Martin Luther, when it comes to like determining what books are in the New Testament, um, he said that the the determining factor has to be that they preach Christ. Mm. And so Kruger highlights in here, he said, well, even that, while that seems noble, right? We would say like, sure, they should preach Christ. But he said, where are you getting that? like that qualification from, Mm. well, it's either from Luther or it's from some outside of scripture mindset. And then what does it actually mean to preach Christ? So Luther really didn't like the book of James because it doesn't clearly teach justification by faith. It's a lot of like wisdom in the world. Mm. And so Luther didn't really like the book of James. And so, and so what he's just pointing out is that we create all these different models or things that we say, well, scripture has to do this. And he's just saying like, just get to the root of that. And oftentimes the final authority is our own mind or the church or some people's standards. And he said, if, mm-hmm. if scripture is our final authority, then scripture itself has to determine scripture. Hmm. which is confusing and some people uh, push on him. But this is where the book's really helpful because it's a kind of a a confusing or or kind of a difficult argument to say that the books of scripture have to define the books of scripture. Um, But he lays out basically how that actually works in his model. Yeah. So what is his model specifically? So he calls it the self-authenticating model. So again, just by that phrase, it, it will show that the the books themselves will a- actually authenticate themselves. So he gives uh, three characteristics of this model, which again, I'm going to hit really quickly, and then you'll have to read the book if you want to know more. But um, so the first one is that he said each scriptural book will have divine qualities. Mm-hmm. And what that means is uh, the two main things he hits is that there's, there's a power to these when you read. So again, I know this doesn't happen all the time, but when you read scripture, the Bible talks about how it's like this, it's this double-edged sword. It's actually like living and active and there's power that these words have. And there's certain books that as you read them, they just feel different. Like when you read Ephesians and then when you read like a a contemporary book, like they just read different. There's Mm -hmm. something different about them. And he says that's actually like the spirit empowered, God breathed element to these books. Um, The other thing that he says is that um, scriptural books are radically uh, unified. So there's not contradictions. There's unity in how they tell the story from Genesis to Revelation. There's this unity in thought and there's this unity in how the story unfolds. Um, And so there's just these divine qualities that are with scriptural books that just aren't with other ones. The second point he said is that um, they have apostolic origins, which Hmm. might be a little bit confusing, but uh, basically that they are written in the time period of the apostles with the the apostles' message. So again, this is getting into the weeds a little bit, but one argument that some people make is that they have to be written by apostles, um, which isn't uh, totally true because we have books like Mark, which he wasn't an apostle. is basically Peter's account. Uh, the gospel of Luke, Luke was not an apostle. Um, we have books like uh, Hebrews, which we don't actually know who the author is. And so we somehow have to make sense of the writings of these book. And, uh, and he says this about the apostolic origin. He said, in some, the new Testament documents can be understood as the written expression of the authoritative foundational and eyewitness tradition delivered by the apostles of Jesus Christ. 
And his point there is saying that there's a message that the apostles had, and all these books have to be written in that time period, either by the hand of the apostles or from like the message of the apostles. So Hmm. for instance, quickly, Mark, he's writing Peter's account and his story. And so the the apostolic like message of it is Peter's, even though Mark's the one that wrote it. Hmm. So anyway, that's a little bit confusing. Read the book. He does a great job of explaining it. (laughs) The third point in his model. So it has, the book has to have divine qualities. It has to have um, an apostolic like origin or message to it. The third one is that he says there has to be a corporate reception. And what he means by that is that the church has to actually accept it. Hmm. So he goes to, um, the passage in John, when Jesus says that my sheep will hear my voice. And he basically just argues that God in his sovereignty will have the church like accept his word. And so if books have been rejected uh, by the church, the true church, that that's often a sign that this is, that it's not actually scripture because it's not just the church that's determining it. It's the power of God through the church as a part of this process. Um, So what's, what we'll often hear from different scholars is that the church has been radically divided on all these things. Um, He does a great job in the book of actually showing from the early church that there was crazy amounts of unity in how they, which Mm. books they accepted and which books they rejected. And so um, he just uses that as a third category that the church actually does matter. It's not the final authority, but it does play a part. So when you said the true church, you're speaking of the early church. Correct. Yeah, or, the early church and um, the Bible. It, the Bible always communicates that there's there's the true people of God, but the church is never like fully pure, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the there's always going to be non Christians within the church, people that think they're Christians and they're not. And so um, one of the things he mentions is that there's people who profess to be Christians who have no like orthodox theology. They deny the salvation or deity of Christ or things like that, but they say they're Christians. He said, it should be no surprise that they would disagree with some of the books of the Bible. So Mm -hmm. he said, for the most part, while the church is always like it's, there's um, the, I don't know how deep to get into this or what you're asking for exactly, but there's like the visible church, which is all the people that profess to be Christians. And then there's like the invisible church, which is Mm. the true people of God that have been saved. And in this world, there's just never like a clean hundred percent. There's always people that profess to be Christians that, that aren't. And so when he talks about the true church, he's saying that there are going to be like little factions of people who profess to be Christians that deny things, but the true church will actually accept these. Okay. Yeah. I think that's just a good distinction because I think when people think of the true church, they would probably have different definitions of what that would be, but especially because this is already established. The 27 books are already in the new Testament canon and we're just providing, well, this book is just providing evidence of why those are there and how they were chosen. Yeah. Because so I think, so let me just say this or Raven, let me give this to you. Mm Mm-hmm. If somebody were to come up to you, so let's say you're working with somebody, you have a neighbor, you're starting to talk about the Bible and they ask you the question. They say, Hey Raven, did you know that like some of these books, they actually weren't written by who they say they were written. They're forgeries. Um, Take the Ephesians one, for example, Paul didn't actually write that. That was written 200 years later. So a forged document, like how can that actually be scripture? You can't actually believe that, right? Like what Mm. would you say to them? Quite honestly, I think I would stand there a little dumbfounded because I would go, 
Okay, I never expected this question in my entire life. And it would be really difficult because I wouldn't know a quick response or a quick answer. So I think I'd probably stand there a little stunned, to be completely honest. Yeah, and I think that's probably most of us as Christians. So I just I just read through this book. Before that, I don't know what I would have said. Like, I don't know if I would have the answer. And so in some ways, I think that's a that's common for Christians, what you just said. And I think that's the purpose of why people should read this book, because it actually, we do have answers to these questions. And, it, and I think the more that people like read or that they want to like push back against scripture, um, you are going to get things like this to a varying degree of knowledge. You know, somebody may have just read some random news article on this, or somebody may actually be reading books that they try to attack, like the different books of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Either way, you're going to get a random question like this, or you should just, you should want to have confidence that if your yeah. theology is based off the New Testament, you should at least ask yourself the question, can I be confident that these are the right books that I'm mm-hmm. basing my theology off of? And that's what Kruger tries to do in this book. Right. And so then what you're saying and why you're saying it, if you're quoting, I mean, like you had said earlier, if we're quoting Ephesians and James, and those aren't actually something that we have valid reasons of why they're in the New Testament, then how do we know that what we're saying is scripture, is mm-hmm. what we see the words of God being. And so I do think in even earlier before this, when we had that discussion, you had said, it's not about just having an answer, but it's knowing that there is an answer. Yeah. Yeah. So again, if if for every person, you don't have to, you know, know every answer to every question that a non-Christian is going to pose. But I do think we should be confident that there are answers. Like if all truth is God's and this, like these books really are scripture, then you can research it and you can have confidence in knowing that mm-hmm. like there, if you continue to research this stuff, there is actually like truth and this, there is answers to these things. And so even if you read through this book, you don't have to memorize all the arguments, but I would at least want you to have the confidence to know if you get that question, you can say, Hey, let me go like brush up on this. Let me read this or let me ask about this because there is an answer to it. You don't have to just neglect the question. You don't have to deflect the question. You don't have to just say, you know, well, we'll just figure it out one day in heaven. Like, no, there's Mm -hmm. actually answers to these questions. And so a big part is just giving um, you confidence that you can actually have an answer to this or find an answer to this. Right. Which isn't just important for a witness, but is also important for our own spiritual life and health as well. So then just wrapping up, what's a way that someone could dive into this book if they're a little apprehensive right now? Is there any type of class event coming up? Wow. Funny that you should ask. (laughs) So yeah. So number one, you could obviously just pick up the book and read. Um, But if you are part of Providence or you're hearing this uh, right after we release it, we are doing a class this summer, uh, 2020. So if you're listening to this later, sorry. Uh, (laughs) But if you're listening to this right away, we are doing a class starting in July um, over the New Testament canon. So we're just going to basically walk through this book together and just look at what what is the model that I just kind of laid out, the self-authenticating model, and how do we have confidence in and knowing that these are the right books. And my goal by the end of the class is that you really would have a confidence. Maybe not, you don't know the argument in every facet or can answer every possible question, but that you would have confidence in scripture and that you would be a little bit more equipped to actually answer some of these questions. Thank you for joining us today as we discuss the book, Canon Revisited, Establishing the Origins and Authority of the New Testament Books by Michael J. Kruger. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to connect the story of God with the story of man and see all of our lives in light of God and his story. 
So if you want to find out more about us, or if you're listening right as we've released this podcast, then we would love to have you check out the class as well on our website, providenceomaha.org. If you have any questions, thoughts, or future podcast topics, please email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We would love to hear from you. Again, thank you, and we will see you next week.